0: Welcome to the first episode of the Atypical Rainbow. I'm Paul. And I'm Grant. Uh, Thanks for trying us out. We appreciate your patronage. That's a really weird way to start it. I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to own that. So this episode is just to give you a quick introduction to us and to the podcast and hopefully we'll encourage you to, you know, check in with the other episodes. So I want to start with where this podcast came from. So I had this idea about um, the uniqueness of parenting as being gay parents. uh, There were some issues that I felt weren't being talked about. And when I did a quick search on my podcast app, I couldn't find anything that talked about it. So I thought this would be a unique perspective. But then as I broke it down and spoke about it with Grant, I thought He sort of pointed out that actually we have a second perspective to come at parenting from, and that's autism, both as people with autism as well as having kids with autism. So we decided to combine the two. Because for me, I think it's important to hear other people's stories, to feel just that little bit less alone, and to know that whatever you're going through, someone else has gone through before. And maybe there are solutions, maybe there aren't. But sometimes it's nice to just know that there's someone out there that... Um, understand you better than the people around you may. It's not to say that there aren't people who, you know, love you and want to be there for you, but there is something unique about the experience of having a shared experience, both positive and negative. That's the intent of the podcast, and Grant's now going
1: to explain where the title comes from. So atypical rainbow, uh, the atypical refers basically to the autism. It basically means something that is different from the norm. But it's become a word that's very much associated with autism and atypical thought processes. So because we have kids who have diagnosed autism and we both have autistic traits, we thought that that was a good thing to include. And we like the word. I like the word atypical. Um, And the rainbow is associated with the um, queer community. Hmm.
0: But it also summarizes the idea of inclusiveness and variety and... Yeah. Which,
1: I, which I think is why it's, you know, been included. Like, it's been used for that community because it's a diverse community. with very different needs. And at different times, there's been more rights for different parts of the rainbow than other parts of the rainbow. But we try to look after each other. Mm. So, what you'll
0: get for in this series is uh, there are a number of series within the atypical rainbow that we're going to explore and it may grow depending on what we find which is a super autistic way of doing it yes exactly super structured rule-based very clear boundaries exactly how i like it uh so we have his and history which is actually the story of our twin boys so how he came about to have them in our lives There will be the rainbow dissection, which talks about um, issues unique to gay parenting. Spectrum analysis, which is more about looking at it through the lens of autism. Uh, But again, parenting both as people with autism as well as having children with autism. And gaily life, which is just going to be random thoughts and, and musings about our experiences. So, whether you choose to only listen to one series or you like listening to all of them, we would love to have you on board. I think at some point we will try and introduce some sort of interview-style um, series, but that's going to depend a lot on logistics and technicality. So I'm not going to promise you any right now, but I would like to do it eventually. Cause I want to hear other people's stories too. It's not just about us. There are, um, plenty of people out there who have their own unique experiences. Uh, and also I'd like to, you know, be able to explore what it's like to have, you know, kids by other means, whether it be through, uh, other countries of surrogacy or whether it be through donors or whatever, whatever way you do it. Um, It'd be really nice to hear your story. So yeah, that's what you're going to get. As a way to introduce us and get to know us, Grant has pulled up some random questions (laughs) that will either tickle your fancy, confuse you, or teach you more about what the kind of people we are. (laughs) So I'm going to start because as you're going to find out, I always find I'm talking too much during these things. uh, And it's not my fault. I just don't know when to stop. So, Grant, what did you want to be when you
1: were small? Well, I think when I was quite small, I wanted to be an actor. I remember at least, like, when I was in prep, I wanted to be a world-famous actor, and then I went through quite a few different things. I think I'm still kind of wanting to work out what I want to be when I grow up, (laughs) but I also wanted to be a father, for as long as I can remember.
0: Yeah, so I would argue that being a stay-at-home parent now, you've reached your goal, or at least your goal for now. Yes, and whatever comes next will depend on what
1: you feel like and what happens at the time. Yes, though a lot of people don't think that that is an end goal that you can enjoy, <laughs> you can aim for. It is a finite goal. At some point, your children
0: become independent and your role in their lives will diminish. I don't think you to. ever stop being a parent, though. But it's about how actively you participate in their life, I think, is where the distinction is. So, as a child, when they're children, you're going to be very actively involved with everything. But as they grow older, you'd hope that they'll become more independent. And they'd, they might want you around for advice and if they need you, like if they need a ride home from a party having gotten drunk. But... Less than the amount that they need you would be substantially less. So so tell the people what different careers you've explored or considered.
1: Um, So what different careers have I had? So I did work as a paid actor for a little while because I started working when I was about 12 and spent about six years working as a paid actor. Then I was a a junior law clerk and a junior account clerk. Then I became a kitchen hand. Then I became a teacher. Then I became a full-time parent, basically. There was a little bit of time when I delivered papers, but I don't really count that as a career. (laughs) No. And you did, did at one point, start your studies to become a clinical psychologist. Yes. I I have a lot of different educations as well as a lot of different careers. (laughs) Mainly like in education and psychology. But yeah, done part of a master's, a couple of postgraduate diplomas, have a bachelor's degree, lots of study and lots of work. (laughs) See, whereas I had a very different path
0: where, so I am the son of two GPs and I was told from a very early age, as all good Vietnamese children are, that I'm only to become a doctor. And that was my only career path. And I, I, what I attribute this to my autism. Because of my autism, I was very suggestible. So I just thought, okay, that's all I'm going to be, right? And so everything I did uh, was geared towards becoming a doctor. That was my singular goal. And at no point did I question, is this actually what I want to be? Uh, it was just assumed that that was the case. And so I, you know, I finished school at 17, got into med school, did my five years, did my first year in hospital, decided that I hate hospitals, then decided to become a GP, did my training for GP, scraped by the skin of my teeth, and got into GP, worked in the industry for about seven to eight years, and decided that actually I don't want to be a GP at all. And now I'm in GP education, teaching other GPs how to be GPs, which is somewhat ironic. But also, what I thought I could contribute the most was to teach people that you can have a varied career, that is not a singular path, and you can do a lot with a medical degree. So I um, now work for an organization that uh, looks after adults with an intellectual developmental disability so it really does inform a lot of what i understand of autism and intellectual disability and so i've developed some somewhat of a passion for it but on the side i uh, i write i wrote a book and self-published like many artists do these days so it's floating out there on the internet and amazon and uh, and other places it's not getting anywhere but hey i did it um you're also
1: published an anthology
0: Yes, so I was published an anthology called Growing Up Asian in Australia, which for a period was a VCE text. While I was teaching
1: English VCE.
0: <laughs> indeed, indeed. Uh, I have no idea if it's still there now, and I, I was pretty proud of that. Um, I thought... That was pretty good. Uh, my, my the book I self-published, The End of Romance, I thought was okay as well. It was all about a, it was about a polyamorous group of people. I was I was quite proud of it, and that's why I put it out there. And I thought, well, I'll give it a shot. But what I'm terrible at is networking and self-promoting. So I'm just I, I'd hate talking about myself in that way. It just makes me feel so dirty and awkward, which is stupid because that's the only way you get people to know you. So. You know, self-defeating, but, you know, that's a pattern of my life in general. I also wrote a few TV pilots, because TV is my obsession. Attempted to submit it to various places, competitions and whatnot. Again, haven't really gotten anywhere. But all of this is on the side. I Looking back, I think that if I actually did what I wanted to do, I probably would have ended up being a full-time writer, at least for a short period. Like, I would have given it a, a solid, solid crack, um, because I remember... That when I was doing my um, VCAT preferences after med- medicine, medicine, and then biomedical science to sneak into medicine, it, I had it was what was called communications, which is basically just a writing course. So, yeah, I, I, I think that deep down I knew that I didn't really want to be a doctor, but I never took it seriously enough to actually follow through. Yeah. Whereas now in my thirties, I thought, oh, maybe now's the time to try. And I marvel at the people who will change careers in their thirties because I am so stuck and so frightened of doing something completely new and having to start at the bottom that I just don't think I have the right motivation or mindset to do it. So I'm making the best of my medical degree. It sounds defeatist. It's pretty good to have a medical degree. It does a lot, but you know, it's very different to doing something you're genuinely passionate about that was a lot of talking again sorry everyone that's Uh, okay my next question paul is who is your hero who is my hero me i am the hero no i don't have a hero i guess the problem is that there's no one i particularly aspire to be in my entirety if that makes sense like if i were to think about uh tv writers uh you got your big names: Joss Whedon, Aaron Sorkin, are probably the two. Oh, and uh, Amy Sherman-Palladino. Three key names of people I would want to be, but it's not that I, it's not that I want to have their life necessarily. I just like what they do. So uh, yeah, I, I respect them, but that kind of hero worship admiration thing, I don't. I don't really think about that for anyone. Even in medicine, there are a lot of people out there who are doing some great work. And not only just like the big names, but just on the ground people who are working hard every day. And again, I give them all the kudos in the world, but whether or not they're my hero, I I wouldn't... I I guess no one necessarily meets that criteria of, you know, angelic aspiration ah,
1: kind of person. Who is your hero? I was thinking my answer would probably be Oscar Wilde. Because I think that... He was very brave, especially around his sexuality in a time where it was much harder. Mm. So he was probably braver than me in a time where being braver than me was probably even more dangerous than what I do. Uh, So I I think that, yeah. And also, he was a very good writer and he seemed very uh, true to himself. So I think Oscar Wilde would be mine. All right. Next question. What really makes you angry? What really makes me angry? Hypocrisy. I do hate hypocrisy. Mm. And a, a lot of hypocrisy around people who think that they are smart or know something and therefore can't be helped. Which is one of the problems that I came across with trying to raise special needs children. When a teacher thinks that they're an expert at special needs and they're not. They are much harder to give good advice and practices to from like the speech pathologists or the occupational therapists than someone who is willing to admit they don't know what they're doing. Mm. So, yeah, I think hypocrisy has always been a trigger for me Mm. and it continues to be a trigger. I I share the sentiment about
0: what, what I would more crassly put as stupid people thinking they're smart. Because I don't even know it's necessarily hypocrisy. I think it's just flat out ignorance. But sometimes with ignorance comes arrogance. I don't mind if people don't know something. If you don't understand something, say that you don't understand something. I say I don't understand everything. So I always am very clear about that. But if you don't know something, but you claim to know something, then that frustrates me uh, deeply, deeply frustrates me. Uh, I, I hesitate to say this because it, it, I feel like it's, it's a particularly contentious issue, um, but this is how I feel about anti-vaxxers. I'm not, I don't mind if you have doubt. If you have doubt and if you have questions, go ahead, ask questions. That is fine. But ultimately, if you are still so convinced of the
1: conspiracy of vaccinations or you don't see the value in it, then
0: I just I can't, I can't respect that and that.
1: Yeah, one of my friends, um, when talking about trans rights, talks about the movable middle. There's a certain people in the middle who are actually going to listen to what you say, and you might actually better have some effect on them. Whereas the people who are the already on the extreme, already are set in their way, think everything is a conspiracy, doesn't matter what you're going to say, it doesn't matter how many facts you give them. Mm. So I think that's true when it comes to anti vaxxers, which kind of brings me to the hypocrisy of family values people mm. who are having affairs. Yes who feel that, you know, gay or trans rights are this huge attack on society and then turn out to be having an affair with underlings at work. So if you're an Australian and you follow politics, you probably know who I'm talking about.
0: <laughs> oh God.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Anyone who campaigned against, you know, marriage equality and turned out to be impregnating staff members is probably not on the top of my Christmas card list. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, the, the, uh, I, I think that, unfortunately, there are a lot of people who hide behind high morals, uh, hide, you know, ignorance behind high morals, when the truth is, they just simply don't like change, and they don't like things that are different to them, and it's not about better or worse, they just make excuses for their own ignorance, uh, and that, that frustrates me. I get... I get that everyone's entitled to an opinion and you're allowed to live your life the way you want as long as no one's being harmed but like leave me alone like leave my life alone that's just it's it's you don't get to say whether or not your life is better than mine um, unfortunately sometimes they do <laughs> and they're given
1: the power to do so but I don't think they're entitled to it mm. so is it my turn or your turn? it's your turn okay so other than Australia where we're both chosen to live we could have lived somewhere else mm. If you couldn't live in Australia, where would you want to live?
0: There is only one place that I would ever want to live. And admittedly, it's a place I've only need to say this because it's a place I've been to rather than some sort of place that sounds nice. Um, but it is London. I love London. Absolute musical theatre nut. When the few times I've been there, so I've been to London. I think about three or four times all on holiday but at sort of on various occasions I've, however many nights I'm there I've pretty much spent each night at a different show and because there's I think that the London theatre scene has so much more variety than Melbourne theatre I mean don't get me wrong the Melbourne theatre scene can be pretty good and it's definitely getting a lot better but you get some really weird random small stuff in, in London like just a really test kind of stuff that I love, and I I love it. And you know, it'll take years sometimes before something goes from London to get to Australia. So I take every opportunity. Plus, I find London kind of beautiful in that you know old old world, new world kind of mixed way. I think that's really nice. Whereas uh, a lot of Australian cities tends to be you know mostly seventies to eighties and upwards, and it's just not that appealing in architecture. I mean, maybe I'm just seeing the wrong parts, but I do I do love. Yeah, the the way that London's kind of set out. Admittedly, I've heard the cost of living is awful and, and, you know, medical jobs are paid very, very poorly. So I don't think I'd ever do it. But if it was just for the lifestyle, London, for sure. What about you?
1: Um, I don't know. Like, I think England seems to be where my family do go back to if, if they leave Australia. But yeah, like, I, I think that I wouldn't cope with how small the apartments are in London. So, I don't know, maybe something outside of London in England, and then be able to go into London for all those shows you want to go (laughs) to. I think... I'd also probably say New Zealand, but I feel almost like that's cheating. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think so. I think there, there is some, in
0: mean, the variation slide, but it's like saying moving to Canada. Canada has a very similar culture to Australia. Yeah. Maybe a bit nicer. I don't know. It seems a little less racist than we are sometimes. But but yeah, I think, I think it's reasonable to move to New Zealand,
1: particularly, you know, Jacinda Ardern and all. That's true. My dislike of the sun means maybe Canada will be like Australia, but with less sun. Yeah, I might appreciate that. <laughs> That's right. Just rug up mm. in Canada. So, yeah, Canada, I think. Maybe I just want to stick in the Commonwealth. I'm obviously very um, loyal to Queen Elizabeth. <laughs> All right. This,
0: I, I, this will be my last question, I think. Who is your favourite author? Who is my favourite
1: author? That is a really difficult question. I normally would say George RR R. Martin. But it's been so long since he's brought out a book. It's a bit... <laughs> At the moment, I'm really enjoying Tamora Pierce as an author because it's something that the boys are reading and we're reading. Mm. Um, and I quite like that. And I'm also in the rereading of books to see whether they're, you know, good for the boys. been reading Dinah Weir-Jones, who is always very good. She's probably her most famous is How's Moving Castle because it got turned into an anime movie. Uh, but her books are very good and she's a very good writer. So, yeah, Raymond E. Feist, I've been very loyal to. I've read many, many, many books of his. Um, and I think he enjoyed all of his books. Whereas Robin Hobb has some off books <coughs> or series. As you can hear, guys,
0: this is a very... There's a fantasy thread through all of these things, Grant. an avid fantasy reader, just to make it obvious.
1: Well, I also like Ben Alton, and he's not a fantasy. So, if I had to choose a non-fantasy author, it'd be Ben Alton. Mm. I really enjoy Ben Alton's books. Because they're quite funny, but they're also really politically interesting. Like, one of his books that I read, called High Society, actually changed my mind about legalization of drugs. Yeah. Yeah, so... And... One a recent one, I'm not sure if it's his most recent, but the most recent one I read was called Identity Crisis, and it was it was a really interesting book about targeted marketing, like in Facebook and things, and it really like it is very true of our time. The kind of idea of the bubble where you click on one thing and you get sent a slightly more extreme article, and pop, and sometimes a completely um, lie. Like the article is a complete lie, like Pizzagate, for anyone who's aware of that, where you kind of just go down this rabbit hole of constantly being told these things. And in this time, which, you know, if you're listening to this in the future, we're sort of at the tail end of coronavirus. The coronavirus um, misinformation does follow this same pattern of that Ben Elton points out in Identity Crisis, where you can sort of see certain relatives will share one thing and then the next thing they share is a bit more extreme because they're obviously being targeted because they've clicked on these things. So yeah, so Ben Elton's probably my more mainstream and less fantasy author that I'd choose. so, What would me, you choose, Paul?
0: Well, well I just, uh, before we move away from that, like a TV show called Madam Secretary delved into that a little bit as well. The idea that companies like YouTube will say, well, it's just the, alg-, or Facebook will say, it's the algorithm. It's not deliberate, but it's, and in a way, I guess it's it's true. Is that the algorithm on a positive level would work if, say, you enjoyed, you know, puppies, then it might give you more puppy videos. So on a positive level, it works. But there's the dark side as with everything in humanity. There's the I think dark there was a point it. where Facebook
1: was showing people puppies, but in the most pot, most evil possible way, because <laughs> they were checking whether they could change your mood by showing you puppies. <laughs> But it, it, it reminds
0: me of a, another TV show called Better Off Ted, which talks, which was set in this R&D company and the idea that any, anything that starts good can be turned bad. So if you look at it on the sense of they're trying to make people happier, it's the same reason why we send around cute cat videos, because we're trying to make people laugh and, you know, see the bright side of life. Yet when an organisation does it, it's manipulative. <laughs> yeah, it depends. It depends on how you look at it. Uh, anyway. I am not much of a reader. I read sometimes. I go through phases. Uh, but right now, I'm reading a lot of Jasper Ford. So, still kind of in that fantasy realm. Uh, this is, he does a, he did a series called The Thursday Next Series about a woman who can jump into books. And it has this whole sort of... He, he likes his law enforcement, but alternative law enforcement. So, he has one called early riser about law enforcement in a time when people hibernate or um the nursery crime series where jack Spratt is the detective solving the murder of humpty dumpty (laughs) like it's he likes his law enforcement but that's who i'm reading at the moment um ben aronovich is another one he does the rivers of london series uh yeah, I think those are the main ones. I don't, I don't have an author I tend to commit to, uh, except for those two, probably. Otherwise, I just kind of pick up whatever's you know popular at the time, and sometimes it hits, sometimes it's a miss. But I'm not, yeah, I'm I'm very much a TV person, I say, which is why you know my three heroes, well, well in inverted commas heroes, are all
1: TV writers, and also obviously why you chose to ask this question. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so should I ask you, Paul, what is your favorite TV shows?
0: Oh God, so many. I mean, look, they're all they're all sitcoms. They're all things that make me laugh because I feel like life sometimes is just too much of a downer that I struggle to watch the really intensive, moving things that everyone recommends. People talk about. Handmaid's Tale and Westworld and I just don't have enough emotional energy for it so I love my classics, Friends, Frasier The Golden Girls uh, some of the newer ones like 30 Rock, Community, Parks and Recreation, basically a good workplace or friend comedy I tend to like more than say your family comedy Right now, um, oh, Jane the Virgin is also an amazing show that nobody really watched. Crazy Ex-Girlfriend was also hilarious and random. Uh, right now, I'm quite enjoying Single Parents. Oh, I'm rewatching New Girl as well. So, yeah, anything that has a little bit of quirk. I'm a big quirk person because I think quirk... There isn't enough quirk in life because it doesn't feel real. But on a TV show, plenty of quirk to go around. You didn't mention The Good Place. Oh, of course, of course. Yes, The Good Place is an amazing show. Again, full of quirk and fart jokes and philosophical musings about life and death and what we owe to each other and how we should treat each other. Yes, that that's true. I had forgotten about The Good Place. And Will and Grace, of course, classic stuff. And I, I, I did quite enjoy the new series. I thought they actually did uh, pretty well to update and, and stay reasonably modern and relevant. Uh, The list can go on, but essentially, sitcoms—anything that gives me a good laugh—is what I tend to enjoy and rewatch.
1: And you, and me, what? Other than anything that you've mentioned, I don't know. Like, I generally watch TV with you, so I don't really have any. Like, I very much enjoyed series of unfortunate events that they recently did. That was very well done. Um, I enjoyed The Witcher. I enjoyed Game of Thrones for a time, but (laughs) I think, like Like most most people, like most of the world. Got a bit disappointed towards the end and found it probably a bit more funny than I was meant to. Like <laughs> ended up watching most of the last season with a friend and sometimes we just laughed during the previously on <laughs> and then just had to pause and just stop because it was so bad. <laughs> but yeah, like I yeah. I think you've covered most of the ones. Like obviously the good place I think I also think is very, very good. And yeah, I like enjoy sitcoms. We just started watching one called Never Have I Ever, which has been very surprisingly funny. Mm. Well, not that it was, you know, it's meant to be funny, but it's really funny.
0: <laughs> yeah, because, you know, th- there are different kinds of humour. It can be Humour, I think, is far more uh, individual than drama tends to be. So you have to find that sweet spot for everyone. And I think Never Have I Ever, for both of us, has been quite... Uh, refreshing on a number of levels. It's it's ethnically, culturally uh, diverse in a number of ways. Um, gender diverse, sexuality diverse. Like it's, just, it's just everything is good. But it it is that again that sweet spot of quirk and and heart. I think which is often what works. But you never know. Sometimes people aim for that and they still fail. So yes, I, I do agree. Never have ever has been
1: uh, for a show where we had no expectations for it. It was it certainly exceeded them though a classic one for me was a very unsuccessful show that probably most people never heard of called go on oh yes go which on which was is a brilliant. brilliant show that lasted one season and then got axed um and it was about basically a grief group and it is amazing like i can watch it when i am actually in grief and it helps me mm. like it's a very good show and i think i will keep a copy of it forever <laughs> yeah and then another show, I think, underrated, and also by the same
0: guy who created Go On was Speechless, uh, which is centered around a young man with cerebral palsy and his family and how they sort of uh, how they live their lives and sort of in that, with that in mind. And it was hilarious and odd and, and beautiful. And uh, yes, I, I think, again, it had that nice combination of uh, heart and, and oddness, which always works for me. So hopefully that was enough to, for you to get to know us. You are welcome to ask more questions. Just post it up on Facebook uh, or Instagram. We are at the Atypical Rainbow and we hope that you stick around for future series. And look, one day if we uh, if we get ourselves together, we may ask you to join us if you want to be uh, an interviewee if you have a story to tell. Please let us know and we will get our stuff together and figure it out. So thanks for listening, and uh, we hope you enjoy the series.